Hello, and welcome back to Newfound Pod, a bite-sized podcast about Newfoundland. I'm your host, Debbie Wiseman. This is Episode 7, Haunted Newfoundland, Part 1. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a lover of all things spooky. I've been watching horror movies since I was a kid, and way too young to be seeing the shower scene in Psycho. I still check behind shower curtains. I believe in spirits, the kind you drink, and the kind to scare the pants off of you. That's why I decided to spend the rest of October focusing on the scarier side of Newfoundland. Having the oldest city in North America, St. John's, it's no surprise that we also have a lot of ghost stories. There's ghost ships and trains, haunted houses, eerie lights at night, the fairies, and the old hag, on and on. Downtown St. John's alone has so many stories. The Majestic Theater is said to be haunted by the ghosts of people who were hanged on that ground. People have said they heard moans and screams, and objects have been moved around on their own. The headless ghost of a murdered sea captain is said to haunt an area on Queen's Road. The LSPU Hall has numerous stories of phantom footsteps, the sound of objects falling to the ground and nothing being there, and dark shadowy figures lurking. There's even a ghost tour called The Haunted Hike, run by Dale Jarvis, who you'll hear from in a minute. It's a walking tour of downtown St. John's and a guide to all the most haunted places. My first story this week is about Catherine Snow. Catherine Snow was born Catherine Mandeville in Harbor Grace in the late 1700s. She moved to Salmon Cove and met and married a man named John Snow. They had seven children together, but their marriage wasn't a happy one. They were reported to argue often, with some of the fights turning violent. In August of 1833, after one of those arguments, John Snow disappeared. When police investigated the disappearance, they found dried blood on John's wharf. No body was ever recovered, but they came to the conclusion that they were dealing with a murder. Two men were arrested. Tobias Mandeville, Catherine's cousin, and Arthur Spring, a servant of the Snows. When Catherine heard of the arrests, she fled and hid in the woods, but later ended up turning herself into authorities. Spring almost immediately confessed, implicating both Tobias and Catherine in the murder plot. He said Tobias was the one who pulled the trigger. Tobias claimed Arthur was the one to pull the trigger. They'd shot him and staged the scene to look like a robbery, then dumped his body in the ocean. Catherine, meanwhile, continued to maintain her innocence. Even though they confessed, both men pled not guilty to the murder charges. The three of them went to trial in St. John's on January 10, 1834. The trial lasted just 12 hours. Despite having no evidence to support Catherine having been involved in the murder in any way, with the Attorney General admitting as much to the jury, and Arthur Spring retracting his statement that she was involved, all three were found guilty of the murder by the all-male jury and sentenced to hang. The men were hanged from the courthouse window within days of the verdict. Catherine, however, received a six-month reprieve because it turns out that she was pregnant with her eighth child. They allowed her to carry the child to term. Her son, Richard, was born in March 1834, and in July of that year, Catherine was hanged from the courthouse. She told the crowd, gathered to witness her execution, I was a wretched woman, but I am as innocent of any participation in the crime of murder as an unborn child. The Catholic Church believed in Catherine's innocence, and tried in vain to get the sentence overturned. They permitted her to receive a Christian burial. Catherine Snow was the last woman hanged in Newfoundland. 
Almost immediately, people started to report seeing Catherine's ghost at the courthouse and in the cemetery. Sightings were reported in the local newspaper. People felt Catherine was unable to rest, and her spirit refused to leave, either because of her unjust execution or because she wanted to be with her newborn son. In 1846, the courthouse where she was hanged burned to the ground, was rebuilt, and burned again in the Great Fire of 1892. Catherine was reported as being seen at the sites shortly before and after the fires and during the rebuilding. The current courthouse was built in a slightly different spot in 1902, but Catherine was still seen, wandering the halls and on the stairs. Phantom footsteps were heard in the building, and the elevator moved on its own. Catherine was showing that she was still around. Finally, in 2012, 178 years after she was executed, the Newfoundland Historical Society was able to get her case reopened, and Catherine was found not guilty. I sincerely hope Catherine is now at peace. I am really excited that someone I mentioned earlier, Newfoundland folklorist and author Dale Jarvis, is allowing me to share some of his stories on my podcast this Halloween. Thanks, Dale. This story is called Ballerinas. Stories of true encounters with the paranormal continue to be told in St. John's to this present day. One of my favorite stories, however, dates back to the Second World War. At that point, a seven- or eight-year-old girl named Margaret lived with her family in a house on Gower Street, just east of Bully Street. Today, she remembers the paper put up against the windows to block out the lights during air raid warnings. In addition, Margaret's recollections include some very strange late-night visitors. As she tells it, I had three sisters and two brothers. I slept in the same room as one of my sisters. We shared a room, the two girls shared another room, and my brothers each had a room. The children slept on the third floor of the house, while her mother and father and two maids slept on the second story. The house had a set of deep curved stairs that wound up to the top floor. From there, there was another set of emergency stairs that went up to the roof of the house. Margaret's bedroom looked out onto these stairs. It was here that Margaret experienced a strange recurring event. She remembers, My bed was facing the stairway going up to the roof of the house, and at night time I would wake up. All the lights were out. As Margaret watched, visitors would start to arrive outside her room. I'd see ballerinas, and I would see the color, she recalls. Now even though it was dark, it was the weirdest thing. It seemed like a light came on, or an illusion of lightness around these figures. They were little ballerinas, young girls in tutus, you know, and they would dance up and down the stairway. The young girls were not unsupervised. There was a tall, slim, very dark-haired lady who was their teacher, says Margaret. I couldn't understand what she was saying, but she obviously was talking to them. The dance instructor made quite an impression on the young Margaret. She was stunning, she describes. She was absolutely stunning, and her hair was as black as her dress, and her skin was white, very, very white. The twirling girls and the dark-haired lady seemed quite at home in the space and returned many times. I would honestly wait for that to occur at night-time, says Margaret. It didn't occur every night, maybe two or three times a month, I suppose. Margaret got so used to it that she would almost wait for it. I'd let everyone else go to sleep. I wouldn't tell the girls anything about it, my sisters. It was like a concert. 
All of a sudden, there were no ballerinas and no lady in black. I don't know why it disappeared after that, but it did, states Margaret. Years later, Margaret's mother was cleaning out a dresser drawer in her bedroom and came across a photograph. Then the girl's strange experiences got even stranger. She said, Oh dear, I don't know if you remember Mrs. whatever she called her, says Margaret, and she passed me this photograph. The photograph showed the dark-haired lady. Margaret said to her mother, Well, I know her mother. Has she ever been to our house? And she said, No, dear, she died. She'd lived here at one time, and she died in this house. Decades later, that image of the dark-haired lady and the dancing girls is still strong in Margaret's memory. Looking back, she says, I didn't know if I should confide in my mother, and I never did. I never did tell her. I told my sisters about it. That was my encounter. That was great, right? As I mentioned earlier, Dale runs The Haunted Hike. So if you want more stories like that, check out hauntedhike.com and nlunexplained.ca. He's written five books, I think, on the paranormal, mainly focusing on Newfoundland. I think one has stories from other areas. His latest book was released just this month, Haunted Ground, Ghost Stories from the Rock. This is the third book in his Haunted series. You can find it through Flanker Press or Amazon, and I'll have those links on the website. While I was researching for this episode, I came across the story of the Duke of Duckworth Pub. The Duke was featured prominently in the CBC series Republic of Doyle. If you aren't familiar with downtown St. John's, Harbor Drive is a street that runs right along the harbor. Parallel to that is Water Street, then parallel to that is Duckworth Street. So it's the harbor, Harbor Drive, Water Street, then Duckworth Street, running side by side. The Duke of Duckworth Pub is located on, of course, Duckworth, but the entrance is located on a stairway, partway between Water Street and Duckworth, called McMurdo's Lane. I hope that makes sense. If not, I'll have a photo on the website. Now, when I saw this photo, I was immediately reminded of how much I cannot stand those stairs. I remember going out of my way to avoid them, and if I did go down them on a rare occasion, it felt kind of oppressive. There was a very spooky vibe. I always felt like I was going to trip or be pushed and break my neck on those stairs. They always creeped me out, and I hadn't even heard of the ghost story. It goes like this. There's a spirit who has been seen by many people looking out of the window by the door of the pub. He waves to people as they go by. Staff and pub goers have claimed to have seen him, and he's been nicknamed the Duke. By all accounts, he's a pretty friendly ghost. Not the best looking, though, as you'll see if you check out his portrait on the site. If you're a wrestling fan, tell me if you think he looks like Terry Funk. Seriously, I saw this picture and I wondered who painted a portrait of Terry Funk. I probably shouldn't be mocking a ghost. It's not really mocking, though, just an observation. On another area off of Duckworth is the Anglican Cathedral of St. John the Baptist. It's a gorgeous building, and it's the oldest Anglican cathedral in North America. It's been designated as a historic site by Canada, Newfoundland, and St. John's. The first church on that property was built sometime before 1700, and at least six wooden churches were built and eventually destroyed by fire, war, or the weather. The present cathedral is made of stone, and construction began in the 1840s. They added on to it in the 1880s, but in 1892, much of the building was destroyed in the Great Fire. 
I mentioned the Great Fire earlier, and this was a fire that destroyed much of St. John's, and I'll be doing an episode on that in the future. When the fire started, people took their prized possessions to the church, thinking the stone building would be safe. Unfortunately, the roof trusses of the building were made of wood, and they ignited, causing the whole roof to cave in and collapse into the building. By 1905, the building had been restored again. Next to the church is the Anglican Cemetery. It's believed that over 6,000 people are buried there, many without grave markers. A lot of churches back then simply didn't keep track of burials, or their records were destroyed, so there's simply no way to tell who is buried in some of those graves. The first story involves a photo from 1850 that's on display in the church museum, which appears to show a ghost. Legend goes that a young man was working on the construction of the building and fell to his death. After the construction was finished, some of the men posed in front of the cathedral for a photo in their best clothes. There appears to be someone in the photo that no one saw standing there, probably because he's transparent. The young man is still in his work clothes, not dressed up like the other men. Some people put this down to a double exposure, and Dale Jarvis spoke to the archivist at the cathedral, who says no death was recorded for a workman on this site. But, like I said earlier, record-keeping wasn't the best. The photo will be on the blog, and you can decide for yourself what you think of it. My last story for today also involves the cathedral, and it's so creepy. Sometime in the late 1800s, a man's body was discovered in St. John's. He wasn't a local, and they couldn't identify him, so they decided he would be buried at the Anglican Cemetery. They gave him a proper ceremony and put the coffin into the ground and started to cover it back up with dirt. They stopped shortly after because they heard knocking coming from the grave. Sure that the poor man must have been buried alive, they quickly brought the coffin back up and summoned a doctor, who declared that the man was indeed dead. So they started to bury him again when they heard the knocks again. They brought him out, the doctor was called, and he declared him dead again. This time the doctor stayed. As they started filling in the grave for the third time, they heard the knocking again. The doctor insisted that they keep going with the burial, and eventually the knocking stopped. It's said that phantom knocks are still heard in the cemetery. So that's it for me this week. Check out the site for links and photos at newfoundpod.com. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at newfoundpod. Please subscribe and leave me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I'll be back next week with more spooky stories, this time from Bell Island. Talk to you then.